This is Eve's on the Move. My name is Jason Smith. I was class of 91. While I was at Williams, uh, it was Jake, but now it's Jason. Um, I prefer him, his, and he. And we're in Littleton, Colorado, outside Denver. Great, thank you so much. As a bit of an icebreaker question, we'll start with, what are some personal projects or hobbies you're interested in sharing with people? Well, it's interesting you ask that now because uh, we just moved into this house a year and a half ago, right as the pandemic started. And prior to that, I had lived in a rural town when I was growing up, and then I was in a city all of my adult life. So this is the first time that we've lived in suburbia. So perhaps not surprisingly, my hobbies these days are very suburban holiday uh, hobbies. Uh, gardening, I'm suddenly a gardener, which I never thought I'd be a gardener. And bird watching, I suddenly have uh, a bunch of bird feeders and I stand there at that window and watch and I have my little book that tells me what kind of bird I'm looking at. So for the first time in a long time, I have genuine hobbies. So shifting gears a little bit, can you talk to us about what it is you do for work and how that connects to your personal identity? Absolutely. Um, here in Denver, I am a adoptions counselor at one of the local shelters. The shelter is called the Denver Dumb Friends League. That's dumb as in can't hear or uh, talk. Uh, the sort of old-timey uh, notion of Helen Keller deaf and dumb. And uh, the name comes from uh, London where there was a dumb friend society in the 19th century. And it was one of the first animal shelters for lost uh, cats and dogs. And so in 1910, Denver opened its own privately funded animal shelter and called it the Denver Dumb Friends League. Uh, and there my job is to find home for the dogs and cats and small animals uh, when uh, patrons come in and are looking. That's what I do. And how did you get involved in that work? So uh, a very circuitous route. Um, I'll, I'll go back a few years. Uh, leaving Williams in 91, I sort of went the the conventional route at the time, I joke that you either were going to become an investment banker or a management consultant, or you hadn't amounted to anything. And uh, I definitely fell for that and went into management consulting for about five years. And I was in DC at the time and uh, decided that my route was going to be public affairs, communications, advocacy. And so for more than 20 years, I worked for a firm in DC and focused on advocacy around K-12 education. And it was a very, very fulfilling job. I really felt like um, through that work, I was making a difference in a public policy area uh, and enjoyed it a lot. Uh, but I did not want to reach the age of retirement having always been in client services. I just knew there was more out there than waking up every morning worrying about whether or not my clients were happy. And so I had the opportunity to leave there uh, in 2017 and I took a year off and did nothing uh, professionally except look for my next direction. And I knew that Animals might be an area I wanted to explore. I grew up on a uh, farm. I've had animals in my life, most of my life. 
and uh, feel very passionate about um, making sure animals are well cared for. And so I started, this is still all in DC, uh, and I started volunteering at the local animal shelter. Uh, for a time I thought I might want to go into um, a service dog training, explore what it would be like to work with service dogs. So I volunteered at a service dog training organization out there and uh, loved what I was doing, loved the direction I seemed to be going. It felt like the arrows were pointing in that direction, but I knew we weren't going to be doing that in Washington. There was no way to uh, live in a townhouse in downtown Washington, D.C., uh, working for an animal shelter. And so we decided we would move to a different part of the country and we put a map up on the wall. We literally put a map on the wall and started exploring options. Um, I'm a pretty analytical person, so I came up with my matrix of factors that we were gonna weigh in. Things like climate, political climate, obviously cost of living, cost of housing, um, those sorts of things. And it came down to Portland, Oregon and uh, Denver, Colorado. And uh, we basically flipped a coin and Denver won. And so we focused our uh, efforts on finding a job in Denver, Colorado. And that led to an opportunity at a service dog training organization. And after being there a year, I realized that while I love the animal care part of that job, um, there was something pulling me in a different direction and it was uh, the world of shelter animals. And uh, so I had the opportunity to become an adoptions counselor at the Dumb Friends League uh, a year ago and uh, I feel really, really fulfilled. I, I love what I do on a daily basis. That's wonderful to hear and thank you for sharing your whole journey. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the stories that we're trying to tell here are those some circuitous routes where people end up in something completely different that they weren't expecting. Um, and that's that's really powerful work. And now you have really cute clients that you get, you get, <laughs> that you get taken care of. Um, so that's, that's it's easier really to please these clients. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so thank you very much for sharing all that. Shifting gears a little bit, could you talk to us about how you engage with your local community? Community being however you define it as, you know, regionally, professionally, personally. We're still figuring that out, to be honest. We've only been in Denver two and a half years, and more than a year of that was pandemic. Um, we moved into this house in February of 2020, a month before the shutdown. Uh, and so we joke with our neighbors that a lot of them we haven't met yet or haven't really gotten to know because we got here and then everyone had to lock their doors. Uh, so to be honest, com engaging with community at least neighborhood community is something we still look forward to doing. Um, engaging in the animal welfare community is uh, maybe another take on that and that's mostly via uh, social media. Uh, I'm pretty passionate about animal welfare and animal rights uh, and so I participated in a lot of online discussion groups talking about those issues. We really seem to be turning a corner when it comes to understanding uh, the animals are sentient beings. They can think, they have feelings, um, they experience distress, they experience joy, um, whether we're talking about pets or whether we're talking about animals that have 
traditionally been viewed simply for food. Um, and so I'm passionate about advocating on behalf of those issues and staying in contact with the folks who are really leading the charge. So I guess in the absence of face-to-face -face, uh, engagement that the pandemic has really prevented us from doing, um, the online community of animal welfare advocates has been a, a suitable alternative. And I think that, that work is definitely very impactful. So thank you for all of your work in that, in that space. And I mean, you know, finding that sense of community in whatever capacity is really impactful and important and meaningful, particularly personally. Um, so that, that work is really wonderful and ties very closely. Oh, you care? Work. You're I, focused I, on that too, or you care about it? I, I do care about that work. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, for me, I think more about accessibility with like outdoor education is the big thing. I'll be doing that after this position. Um, so, so thinking, you know, about how we access that and allow other folks to engage um, and how you make those touch points is really, really meaningful. Um, and so thank you for all of your work in that space. Um, so tying back to Williams a little bit, are there any experiences, whether that's in the classroom, community, um, from your time in the Purple Valley that have impacted you know, how you occupy space, navigate your career, your personal life? It's, it's a great question. It's an interesting question for me to think about because you know, I was born and raised in a small town in Nebraska, and my path to Williams was not the stereotypical path of, and I know I'm being stereotypical here, but particularly 30 years ago, uh, upper middle class, white kids, uh, going to highly selective private institutions, mostly on the coast, and then um, getting accepted to places like Williams along with a bunch of other classmates. That was sort of the stereotypical view I had of, of an entering Williams uh, first year. And that was not my story. My story was I came from a uh, state that did not send a lot of people to places like Williams. I, uh, I did go to a, a, a private school, uh, but most of my classmates did not leave the state to go to college. And so I was, um, Definitely, I had a feeling of um, isolation or aloneness when I got there. I literally was the only person from the state, um, and I felt very unprepared academically and sort of um, uh, world experience-wise. Um, most of my friends had done things and seen things and been academically challenged in a way that I had not been. So um, uh, my reaction to that was to work really hard to catch up and to try to be a part of. Um, and that meant going the very, very conventional route. So earlier I joked that it felt at times like if you wanted to be a successful graduate at Williams, you needed to become either an investment banker or a management consultant. And in hindsight, I can joke about that and be a little sarcastic about it. But at the time, I fully embraced that. I really did believe that this, these were my two paths. These were my two options. And I didn't want to become an investment banker, mainly because I had heard that they had to pull all-nighters all the time, and that sounded awful. And so I went the management consulting route. And it was very important to me at the time uh, because of my Williams experience to feel like I had arrived 
at that milestone of getting a job as a management consultant before I graduated. That was a very important part of it. You had to have the job locked down before you graduated. And it worked out. And so I did feel a part of. All right, fast forward. I do all those things that I talked about before. Pretty conventional, uh, professional path. Um, now I'm at a point down the road, 30 years later, where uh, I don't want to do that anymore. And I think in some ways that Williams experience and keeping up with my classmates through social media, through the alumni magazine, through whatever means, exposed me to the fact that not everybody in fact had done that. That there were folks who by dint of courage or financial freedom or some other means had picked very, very unconventional paths. And so while I had to do a lot of soul searching to get comfortable with the idea that I was going to be an hourly wage employee uh, who would never be bragging about my income again, um, I knew as a Williams grad that I didn't have anything more to prove to anybody and that I did have the freedom to take this pretty unconventional path in animal welfare and shelter life. Thank you for all of that. I, I, I do think that narrative of like wanting to fit in and occupying that space is one that, as a fairly recent alum, is still there um, and, and is, is definitely a theme that um, sharing these stories about people who've taken these, these other ways, these other paths, is really powerful and meaningful. Um, so hearing your story, I think, is very encouraging for folks to think about how they can find their joys and sort of let go of that, I need to fit a specific, a specific archetype from Williams. Um, and so that's, that's really meaningful, and your work sounds like so much more fun than investment or consulting. Um, it is, it is. But, you know, it, I don't want to lead leave anyone with the impression um, that you can leave Williams, become an adoptions counselor, and be able to pay the rent. I mean, I'm working with kids in their 20s uh, who are really struggling. Um, they love this work. They came to it a lot earlier than I did. They understood their passion for shelter life a lot earlier than I did. And the decisions uh, and choices they have to make in order to make ends meet are really, really tough. Um, and I don't want to do a diatribe on income inequality, but um, I admire them because they're making sacrifices to do that work that I don't have to make because I did do something else. I did take the more conventional route for 30 years. And that afforded me the opportunity to move to Denver, uh, to buy a fixer-upper house and remodel it and now just live uh, this very, very comfortable life while doing this hard and low-paying work. That's not a combination that everybody has the privilege to uh, put together for themselves. Thank you. I, I think that self-reflection is also super important, so we really appreciate that. So my disclaimer about that, that note about um, acknowledging privilege and sort of that space. 100%. That um, so shifting gears a little bit, we've got two more questions for you um, that are a little bit more abstract. The first one is, what brings you joy? 
So my job is to welcome a patron, that's what we call the customers who come into the building, welcome them in and start a conversation with them about what they're looking for, what their life looks like now, um, so that I can be thinking about the animals we have available and uh, make a match. It's really a matchmaking exercise. And it takes time. The typical person is who ends up adopting is in there for a couple hours uh, because they're getting to know their animal. There's a lot of animals for them to hear about before they make the choice. So there's a real investment on their part. And I uh, spend a lot of time with these folks and I sort of get to know them, at least as well as you can get to know someone spending a couple hours talking to them. Um, when it works and they walk out the door with an animal, especially a dog, because my passion is dogs. And it's an animal that may have been there a while uh, or um, maybe has a pretty difficult past, um, either behaviorally or maybe it was neglected or something else that made that dog's previous life not so great to, I'm gonna choke up, um, to watch that person get so excited about this new dog and walk out that door just as happy as could be and knowing that that dog's life changed just like that, that totally transformed, um, just makes my heart explode every time. That's a really beautiful moment to, to experience because there's there's so many very deep, like you have a lot of deep passionate ties with all of those aspects from the people coming in to the animals that are going out. Um, and that, that matchmaking is, is a really wonderful thing to get to experience and We've gotten to know people in a very short amount of time, um, and it is a truly wonderful experience to tie those those lines and bring people and your case animals together. Um, and so that I can only imagine that that moment has such a like really nice high to it in the sense that it's it's truly beautiful. Um, so thank you absolutely. for sharing that. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, a lot of our patrons, I give them my email address and I beg them to send us photographs of the animals in their new homes uh, because not just me but the rest of the adoption counselors we see those pictures of the animals either having the time of their life in the backyard running around or deeply relaxed on a bed or a sofa just sleeping so deeply which is not something that it's easy to do in the shelter where there's always noise either one of those things the the joy and fun or the deep deep relaxation just just brings me so much joy. Thank you for that. And so the last question we have for you along similar lines of gratitude is if you could write a thank you note to anyone, who would it be to and what would it say? Wow. <clears throat> so uh, I mentioned that I uh, was raised in Nebraska um, and uh, knew I was going to college, but I wasn't in a community that was fully aware of all of the options. And um, one of my family's best friends was a guy named Noyce Rogers, who is class of 61. And he was born and raised in the same town I was. And um, he watched my progress from a very early age and made it a point to uh, communicate to me that there was this place called Williams on the East Coast um, that had changed his life and uh, he still had friends that he had made at Williams 
He went back for reunions. It really was a very, very important part of his life and his identity. And when it came time to uh, start thinking about colleges, uh, he made himself available uh, in a significant way to help me get there. Uh, when I was a junior, um, he made arrangements for me to fly to New York and then drive up with him to Williams to have an interview. Um, and he wrote a letter of recommendation for me that was so powerful. And long story short, I got in. And my experience at Williams was uh, equally transformative. Uh, it really did change my own trajectory. And I'm so grateful that he was there to introduce the idea of Williams uh, to this kid who would not have had um, exposure to it in any other way. So my thank you would be to Noyce uh, Rogers, class of 61, um, for uh, giving me the gift of uh, a Williams education. Thank you for that. I, that. Those ties back to Williams are really, really wonderful to hear about. Um, and I'm glad Noyce was there to introduce you. So that brings us to the end of our Eves of the Move interview. Are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with anyone who comes across this? If you had told me just a couple years before all of these changes took place that this was um, going to happen to me, that I would wake up one day in suburban Denver working in animal welfare um, and tending to a garden I never would have believed you. I absolutely would have looked you in the eye and said, that's not me. You clearly don't know who I am. And not who I am, blah, 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 but just you don't know what makes me tick. I'm an, ur I, I'm an urban guy. I like urban living. I like the fast-paced, uh, high-stress, high-adrenaline world of, of public affairs and communications. Uh, this is my life. And through a series of events, some of my own doing, some of not my own doing, this is where I landed. And uh, I think it's a testament to the fact that we don't know what we don't know. Uh, and that if, uh, if I keep a positive, optimistic outlook toward what comes next and an open-mindedness about what it might look like, um, your life can change dramatically for the better. Thank you so much, Jason. That was a really nice spot to end on. Thank you. Um, so we really appreciate you taking some time to chat with us. Um, and we're excited to see this up with the rest of our Ethan on the Move interviews. Cool. I'm glad you're here. For other alumni stories, please check out alumni.williams.edu forward slash 200. Thanks for tuning in.